Brave Podcast Network. Sick of being stuck and uninspired and living in fear? Yeah, me too. That's why I created the Get Your Brave On podcast, because I was looking for something that wasn't a push alert on my phone or a negative news story to start my day. Get Your Brave On is a podcast you can listen to while you're getting ready in the morning, brushing your teeth or putting your makeup on or getting your cardio in. Get exactly the motivation and inspiration you need to silence fear and do one brave thing a day. Make sure that you follow so you don't miss an episode. We start the week off with a topic, an inspiration. Then the next episode is a prayer about that. The third episode of the week, a faith-based meditation. The rest of the week includes stories from listeners just like you on how you're facing fear and getting your brave on. Share yours at 530-4-AMANDA. And I bring you experts to give you advice on how to silence fear when it comes to your faith, family, finances, fitness, and we even get to have some fun. Don't miss an episode. Sign up at getyourbraveon.info and I'll send you my free Brave Life Planner. Another thing you can start your day with instead of negative news. It is a specific plan to boot up your bravery and set your mind on the right things, the good things. And then a daily planner to help you choose one brave thing a day. If you use this every day for 30 days, that's 30 brave things things you've done in a month. Just think of how brave you will be by the end of the year. 365% more brave. Sign up at getyourbraveon.info and make sure you follow the podcast. So glad you're here. Life Audio. I want to make it clear, like this isn't a story of struggle. This isn't a story of of pain or hardship or depression or anxiety or abuse or neglect. You're going to find all of those elements in the story. Mm -hmm. But really what this is a story about is overcoming it all. Welcome to episode 31 of the Get Your Brave On podcast with my good friend, Sarah Beth. She is my personal trainer. She's my nutritionist. She is my mindset coach. She's the reason why I can do what I do for you, my Get Your Brave On babes. She's about to share for the very first time her personal story of escaping human trafficking and overcoming abuse and neglect as a child. This is not a tragedy. This is a story about how to not allow yourself to be defined by your past, but to allow your past to define you as a conqueror. This is an extremely special episode, and I can't wait for you to hear the story of Sarah Beth and how she became the mother that she's always needed. You're not a victim. You are a brave warrior. If this podcast makes an impact on you, we'd love for you to share it with a friend. Also, follow it on whatever platform you're listening to so you don't miss the next episode. This is a two-part, maybe even a three-part series. And then please let us know what you think by leaving a review and we'll shout you out in the next episode. You can live a long, healthy life if you're HIV positive. With the current treatments, we can get patients down to being undetectable. The array of options is so much greater today. U equals U. Undetectable equals untransmittable. If someone who's HIV positive, they're taking their medication, they're undetectable, they're not able to pass HIV to their partners. Do it for you, Montgomery County. 
your HIV treatment is their prevention. Get more information at doitforumc.org. Dr. Trudy Fleer here. T-Mobile home internet speeds that crawl can leave us feeling like we have to move faster to compensate. But we don't. The internet does. You want to move like a sloth? Be a sloth with blazing fast Xfinity internet. Learn more at xfinity.com slash facts. How to become the mother that you have always needed. This is a story that needs to be told in a very powerful way that more people need to hear. Sarah, let's just start off big. What was the motivation for learning the kind of mother that I'm going to be is the kind of mother that I needed? Is that because that's what you didn't have? Yeah, I mean, I definitely grew up in a way that left me, you know, wanting more from motherhood you know I don't have a lot of I don't have really any memories of the nurturing loving mother that we see in the movies or we read out about read about in books or that maybe even my friends had I really don't have any of those memories and and my childhood was was a struggle and unique um, in that way and I knew from a very young age that if I was put on this planet to do one thing it was to be a mom (laughs) And I always knew I'd have kids and I always knew that I would do it differently. And and I have. My mom had five kids and she never wanted any. I was craving and needing that loving support and didn't have it. And I remember even as a young child thinking, when I'm a mom, I'm going to do this. I'm generation after generation in this small town that's overrun with drugs and meth wow. and and it's very high levels of poverty. And if I had a terrible childhood, my mother had it worse. You can't understand how a mother could possibly treat her children this way, how a mother could possibly show up in this way. But as I've gone through you know, my own healing journey, what I've really come to realize is... She did the best she could. You know, we're all just doing our best. Yeah. (laughs) I can see now that in her mind, how bad could our childhood really have been because it wasn't as bad as hers. Oh, that's really interesting. Well, at least you're breaking the cycle. I understand some of that. I'm a third generation single mom. My grandmother, she became a widow in 1955 and raised four kids and then my mother went through a divorce and then I'm like no I want to break the cycle from my children the generational curse is what we call yeah. it right and yeah. and it really truly is 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 I I also I'm like a fifth generation single mom <sighs> and and yeah. you know there was a point in in my young adult life where I thought to myself maybe there's like some sort of cosmic curse on my family like the women in my family just just single motherhood were destined for this and and you know maybe that's likely not true but the reality is is it doesn't have to be it doesn't have to be we don't have to be a victim to that circumstance you know Uh and and maybe I am a single mom and maybe my mom was before me and her mom before that but we get to break the generational curse that allowed that single parent struggle to define us. I mean, I honestly, I wouldn't change it for the world. Help us understand maybe what are some of the poignant moments in your childhood that said, I don't want to be that kind of mother. I want to be something different. 
Yeah. You know, I, and I think that the answer to that question really goes with just kind of outlining some pieces of the story and giving you a picture yeah. of, of really how I grew up so you can see. But before I do that, I, I want to make it clear, like this isn't a story of struggle. This isn't a story of of pain or hardship or depression or anxiety or abuse or neglect. You're going to find all of those elements in the story. Mm hmm. But really what this is a story about is overcoming it all, is not being a victim to that circumstance. And even, you know, before I start, I'll say, even as a young child, while I was going in the moments, in these moments as a child going through this, never did I feel sorry for myself. Never did I feel like this isn't fair or why me or any of those things. It didn't even occur to me to feel that way because it was just life. And it didn't occur to me that this wasn't how everybody's life was. Uh, it was normal. You thought it was normal. I thought it was it, very yeah. normal. And that, that saved me in a way because, mm-hmm. you know, when we allow ourselves to become a victim to the circumstance, uh, it really defines us and it controls us. And every, every action we take, we're taking as a victim and allowing our circumstance or the people in it to be that villain. It's struggle is relative. It's relative. We all go through it in mm-hmm. one way or another. I don't know a single person who doesn't have a story from their childhood that defined a way that they interact in the world today or or use oh. on the flip end, use as a crutch. And and the reality is we all go through something. And my story that I'm about to go through, it's not any worse than yours. For me, it feels bad because mm-hmm. it's mine, you know, and and so pain and pain and struggle is relative. And I think that that's a really important. This isn't a this isn't a struggle competition. Right. <laughs> I like that. It's like we it's not about comparing our stories. This Correct. is about inspiring you to overcome whatever your story is, because that's what I think bravery is. That's why I talk about bravery, because it's not that we're not scared. It's moving forward while we're experiencing fear. And it's about understanding that this is not the thing that defines you. How am I going to overcome? How am I going to use this thing to propel me forward and make me a better person? That's why I always say, get your brave on. It's a decision. It's a choice. It's it's an action. It's like a favorite outfit. <laughs> oh, like, I love that. I got to put outfit. my brave on today. <laughs> Dr. Trudy Fleer here. T-Mobile home internet speeds that crawl can leave us feeling like we have to move faster to compensate, but we don't. The internet does. You want to move like a sloth? Be a sloth with blazing fast Xfinity internet. Learn more at Xfinity.com slash t I'm Tony DeLorenzo, and this is my beautiful wife, Elisa. Hey there. We're hosts of the top-rated marriage podcast, The One Extraordinary Marriage Show. This is the show where being busy is overdone, romancing is fun, and scheduling sex has taken the guesswork out of wondering when you're going to get some. Each episode, we share what you can do to create the extraordinary marriage you desire. With over 700 episodes, like Information Overload and Sex Pillows and Wedges, there's something for you. Come join us as we talk sex, love, and commitment. Subscribe to The One Extraordinary Marriage Show today. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on your favorite podcast app. Hello, my name is Rachel Carmen, and I want to invite you to come over and listen to my podcast. It's called Real Refreshment. 
For years and years as a young mother, I chased after the wind, thinking that the world could offer me the refreshment I longed for. But it was only when I discovered it in the person of Jesus Christ that I really found refreshment. Come on over and join me as we dig into Bible study. I'll see you there. How did you have to put your brave on through your childhood? I am the second to the oldest of five girls. And my mom had my oldest sister when she was 17. Um, So she was a teenage mom Mm -hmm. and, you know, a teenager to a mom who (laughs) was definitely not a mom. I think that it really started when my parents got divorced. My dad was was truly I mean, he died when I was 14, but he was truly my hero. We unfortunately grew up in a time where he lived four hours away and we didn't. It's not like we had cell phones or text messaging or anything like that. So Uh it's it's this way that like you can't really see what's happening. And so you live in this way of denial of like you don't want to believe that your kids are living this life, but they are. And so it's been only summers with him. But they got divorced when I was three and my mom by the time I was six my mom had my youngest two sisters so there were five of us and as I mentioned already she just she didn't want to be a mom and she was young and she neglect is what comes okay and so my mom would leave for days and weeks at a time and we lived in this little tiny trailer in the middle of nowhere California Mm. and at seven years old, me, my older sister, and then the one right under me is only a year younger. So the three of us were really responsible for these this toddler and an infant, you know, and she would leave. I remember changing diapers and coddling babies in the middle of the night when they had nightmares. And How old were you? Seven, seven, <laughs> seven, eight, nine. Those were okay. really between the ages of seven and 12. That was really those ages were around. I mean, survival, survival, uh-huh. because we were extremely poor, lived in extreme poverty, extremely neglected. Yeah, We often we didn't know where our next meal was going to come from. We didn't have hot water. We didn't have insulation or heating and air and so you know it was it was really about leaning on each other as and then maybe this is why I'm like such a a woman tribe advocate yes me too we're leaning on each other as very young children to survive and really I mean it turns out survival is an instinct and and when you need it and you need to tap into it we all have it Mm-hmm. And as very young children, we are, you know, some examples is like we didn't have we didn't have heat. And in the winter, it was so cold you could see your breath in the house. <sighs> and so we would all uh, pile in the like make a, a pallet on the floor of the living room and we'd all sleep in the same spot and we use our body heat to keep each other warm and, and things like this. And so I remember like in these moments taking care of these babies and and figuring out how we're going to eat and how we're going to get to school. And it was the craving of just somebody to love, somebody to love and somebody who loved oh. us. And that was that was probably the very 
the very first thing that comes to mind when you say, what are some of the key memories? It was this through line through my entire childhood of of the absence of love. And I was very aware of the absence of love. And mm. I mean, as a young child, like that's all I ever wanted was to be seen, to be heard, to be some for somebody to care. And um, and I don't have any memories of feeling like that was ever satiated or fulfilled. So you were in this cycle of neglect. Yes. Your mom would leave and then you became mom to your younger siblings. Yeah. How long did this cycle continue and what and how did you what was the next level when you became a teenager? Yeah. Like things must have changed. So, you know, it's interesting that <laughs> it's interesting how things change. My mom it, her story, if she were to be the one on the other end of this mic, yeah, her story would be one of an of awe and inspiration. And people would listen to this story and they would take something from it. Because in a nutshell, her story is, I was a single mom of five girls. I put myself through nursing school oh. and I did the best I could raising them. Mm -hmm. And they grew up to be these, you know, very successful and, and mm -hmm. wonderful women. And I'm, I'm really proud of that. And one thing I learned from my mom that I'm grateful for every day is that there's nothing in this world that if I'm not willing to sacrifice that, if I'm willing to sacrifice something, there's nothing in this world I can't achieve or have. Okay. The problem was she was willing to sacrifice us. Yeah. And that was came through very much. So oftentimes she was gone because of men and more often she was gone because of school. Okay. Uh, nonetheless, we were left to fend for ourselves. Mm -hmm. So when I was 11, my older sister moved out and she's three years older than me. So she oh. was 14. Wow. And my mom graduated nursing school, so she was a little bit more grounded and a little bit more around, but still not much. When she wasn't at work, she was the men were still very much occupying her time mm -hmm. and not not home um, because of that. Or if she was home, she was locked in her bedroom. Okay. Mm -hmm. And in those moments too, I can see like the, the memories of her being locked in her bedroom. Like you're home. Why don't you want to hang out with us? Yeah. And thinking like, God, how can you not want to be around your kids? But then just stepping in and making the most of it. You know, sometimes when she'd be home, it was worse than when she was gone. And we would have, we would go and take like our blankets and our pillows and we'd go out into the field across the street and we'd make like a little picnic blanket and we would stay out there until she left again because it was just it was worse to have oh. her there than it was to have her gone and we knew how to do it when she wasn't there but when she was there it was like the pull of wanting her attention became the became the primary objective whereas when she was gone the primary objective was leaning on each other and surviving oh. and making it through and then you were were you like competing with your other sisters to get mom's love not no because no. none of us got it okay <laughs> so we weren't yeah. really competing for it it was more just like you know have you ever been around somebody who you really want their love and attention and when you're not receiving it there's this like sadness in your body yeah i've been in relationships like that <laughs> yeah i think we <laughs> a all couple have, right? boyfriends just kidding <laughs> <laughs> um and so that's really more yeah. of what it was it was like 
instead of just putting one foot in front of the other and doing what we needed to do, it was this this sadness that took our vibration down and this got it this knocking on our door and like you know wanting and and it, that never coming to fruition like it never was for any reason it was all in vain and mm-hmm. so not having her there became better than having her there so when she graduated nursing school she was there more but still gone a lot and um then it was really just the four of us even after she graduated nursing school and had a job, we still had no food. My wow, that's crazy. Yeah, we still had no food. We had, I guess, just, more. You know, I'm a. I will say this: I am a professional at walking into a kitchen with the bare minimum groceries and making like a gourmet meal. Wow, wow. <laughs> that's I have experience. Overcoming. Here. We're focused on overcoming. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, and so <laughs> she. she struggled with eating disorders and whatnot so she would not keep food in the house um and and as i got older i started the resentment started setting in you know as a young kid you just don't really even realize this isn't how it's supposed to be but as i got older 11 12 i got really sick when i was 12 13 14 Mm. i start seeing like no why this isn't how it's supposed to be and the anger starts setting in and the resentment starts setting in and then when she's home and and in the rare occasions where she tries to to mother after being gone for like, my entire life uh it's really like a laugh laughable like why would i listen to you i why would i listen to you i've just been doing this on my own for mm-hmm. you know 10 years why am i listening to you now and so we had a really really challenged relationship so if i ever wanted her love as a child i pretended to not want it as a uh yeah prepubescent teen did you compare yourself to like other friends at school and is it did it dawn on you when you see your friends and they're relationships with their parents you're like wait a second yeah absolutely that must have been hard absolutely especially you know I have one friend that comes to mind specifically she was my best friend growing up in high Mm -hmm. school and her mom also had like five or six kids and they were also lived in extreme poverty Mm -hmm. and when I'd go to her house they always had food everybody was happy they loved each other so much her mom was like her best friend yeah and that example was one of the key moments that woman her name was nancy Hmm. that woman showed me for the first time what it would look like if you just had a mom who was your best friend yeah and i knew at you know a young young child a prepubescent teen like when i'm a mom she will be my best friend. Oh, there you go. Mm-hmm. And and I, it was always these things. When I'm a mom, my kids are gonna have dinner every night. <laughs> they're gonna have the best lunches. Oh, <laughs> they're gonna, yeah. they're gonna be so clean, you know. And I would just oh. think of these things. I I got to see Nancy just put on the super mom cape, and you know my my mom. One of the other things that my mom was really really good at was manipulating people and she is incredibly likable and had this way of just no matter what she said she had people just eating out of the palm of her hand and as a kid i'm watching this like what is happening how are you not seeing through this you know Mm -hmm. and um 
she is just a professional liar and a professional manipulator. And you'd see that come through so strongly uh, in in her relationships professionally, in her relationships with the people at school. And uh, it blew my mind. And so I'm comparing in comparing my my best friend's mom, Nancy, to my mom, I'm like, mm-hmm. she doesn't have to lie at all. And she's this incredible oh. mom. And my mom's telling all of these lies and she is just gone. Oh. And um, and so there was, I, I spent a lot of time at that house. She was like my That's second good. mom. <laughs> I'm glad you had that. Yeah. She was like my second mom. And then. Um, so did you leave the household at an early age then as a teenager? Yeah. You like know, your sister? Yes. I, I left oh. at 14 as well. Oh. And so 14 or 15. Like how do you, how does that 15. work when your mom's not fully engaged? Mm-hmm. It's not like, you know, like we think on raising our daughters, we have daughters about the same age <laughs> that we're like going to pack them up and take them to college and help them move into their dorm room. Like I'm guessing that wasn't the situation. Definitely not. Was it just like, I'm not going to stay here anymore? And yeah. did your mom know? Yeah. So uh, when I was 14, my dad died. Oh, that's right. And it, that changed me. It changed me majorly. Like. I went from kind of tolerating my mother and just kind of rolling my eyes at her at her little things that she'd do mm-hmm. to hating her. Okay. And I blamed her a lot for the lost time I had with him. Okay. And I mean, and, and rightfully so in some ways, but uh, nonetheless, I I and I, I was ugly. I was ugly to her. And um, some may say she deserved it, but mm-hmm. as I've done my own healing and growth through my adult life, I know like that was grief. It was grief, and I needed help processing that grief because I had no idea mm-hmm. how to do that, and it was overtaking me, and it spiraled me into the start of a lifelong struggle with depression, mm-hmm. and in this depression and in this grief and in this anger, this so much anger, I couldn't be there anymore. And exactly. I think honestly, she was, she was like when my older sister moved out, she let her go. And when I moved out, she just let me go. When my younger sister moved out, she just let us go. I, I mean, I think there was a part of her that was probably just relieved to be rid of that part, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, well, where do you go when you're 14 and you move out of the house? I am lucky to have had some really great friends and lucky to have had some really great school counselors. Okay. Um, I always say that if I grew up in a big city, I probably would have grown up in foster care. Because someone would have noticed. That was another question I had. Like, no one noticed what was going on with yeah. this family? Okay. I mean, well, they did, but in conversation with my mom... It, like I said, she just had this way of, oh. of like they just could talk and yeah. get like people to see it differently, and it worked every time. And so there were a there was a, a the career center counselor at my high school was also an angel in my life at this mm-hmm. time, and and she really supported me and helped me in making sure that I always had a roof over my head and that. Um, I had somebody to talk to and she couldn't save me, 
but she could be there for me. And then, you know, I had my best friend and her mom and I spent a lot of a lot of time at other people's houses. And then when I was 15, I moved in with my boyfriend. The problem was I was 15 and he was 18 and he was incredibly abusive. Oh, no. And that was the very first experience I had in being in a relationship. And this man used to beat me Mm. senseless all the time. (laughs) You know, I was just looking at my daughter. Thank you. I was just looking at my daughter the other day with her her boyfriend. She's 14 going on Mm -hmm. 15 and she's got her first boyfriend and... I walk into her room and she's crying and he's there and I was like are you crying like what'd you do yeah like what did you do (laughs) yeah and I just stopped I go are you crying yeah and she like wipes her tears away and doesn't answer and I look at him and I go are you being nice to her Mm -hmm. and then she she goes he's being sweet and I go oh okay good and, and I just kind of leave them, leave them be. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I come out and I'm talking to my girlfriend who's at my house. And I'm like, gosh, I look at her with her first boyfriend and I see this boy being so sweet and they're so mm-hmm. innocent. And my daughter in some ways is wise beyond her years, way, way mm-hmm. surpassed where I was when I was her age. And in other ways, just incredibly innocent, <laughs> so much more innocent than I yeah. was. And, and I couldn't imagine her having a boyfriend who beat her up. Yeah. Oh, I would go crazy. Yeah. And I was that age. That's crazy. Mm-hmm. I was that age. And, and I had spent my entire life searching for love, just wanting to be loved, just wanting to be seen, literally wanting to be physically held. Oh, yeah. Like, I didn't have that as a kid. I don't have a single memory of my mom hugging me or snuggling oh. me. Not a single one. And so as as I got older, I really craved just hugs and physical touch and being held. When you've lived uh, your entire life with abuse and neglect and your very first experience in a relationship is physical abuse, like... While I knew it wasn't okay, I also didn't occur to me that it was that bad. Yeah. Right? Because I didn't really have any much good to compare it to. And my dad had just died and I was grieving. And there was this man who sometimes, when he wasn't beating me up, he did want to hug me and love me. And he had food. And he had had a roof and a family. It makes sense. So how did you get out of that relationship? Well, it ended really ugly and I um, I got beat up a lot and then when I was later in my teenage years, I ended up, this man had, had taken me into a, a position in my life and this, ooh, this is a little bit you don't want to talk about, you don't want to talk about, about um, where, where I was essentially a prisoner and and couldn't get out of that situation of being held prisoner in a junkyard in Santa Rosa. This this is not fathomable to me. And I know Sarah did share this story with me before we're recording this podcast. So I... I do know some of this and I, and I'm being very careful at, um, not prying too hard, (laughs) but allowing you to share what you want to share about it because 
and I don't feel like you should share everything, but if you, but there's something in it that's going to be the thing that somebody else needs to hear to feel okay. And to feel like they can do it too. Yeah. You know, I, I, for most of my life, didn't even really remember it. I had blocked it out. I'd repressed these memories and, and it was like, I knew it happened, but I couldn't remember exactly. I couldn't tell you a story of what happened. I, I didn't, I didn't remember it. And then, um, last year I took a shadow work course with, um, an amazing, amazing coach, Amber Valdez. And Mm -hmm. she does, she does a lot of spiritual healing and she did this shadow work course, uh, called let your light shine live. And the idea Mm -hmm. behind this course was, um, being vulnerable in this group of people who were there to be vulnerable. And for the first time ever, I told the story from start to finish. And it was in telling that story from start to finish in this really vulnerable state that I realized I remembered more than I thought I did. Uh And then after telling that story, more and more of these memories would come back. And so this was only like a year ago. And so it's still still processing. So in terms of talking about it, you know, there's definitely... It was six months and I was not there by my own free will. And there was a lot, a lot of abuse and rape and fear. And I thought I was going to die and I wanted to. But she escaped. I did. I did. Can you Um, share with us the (laughs) escape story? Because I feel like that's really an important You know, it was it was laying there looking at these keys on the sink of this fifth wheel after these men had fallen asleep in their drunken state. And I'm looking at these keys and everything in my mind is like, just take them, take them and Hmm. run. Like now is your chance. And I couldn't make my body do what my mind was telling it to do. And no matter how hard I was like willing myself to get up and take these keys like just do it yeah I couldn't do it and and I think that speaks volumes to the conditioning of people in that are you know victims of human trafficking and this is Mm -hmm. the conditioning and the brainwashing this is the goal is is no matter how bad you want to leave you won't and I could feel that happening. And I was make, come on, just get up. And then I thought to myself, why? Why won't you get up and get these keys? Like, mm-hmm. I'm talking to my body at this point. Like, <laughs> why won't you do this? You think it was like God and the Holy Spirit in some ways saying, Absolutely. you got to get, like, like, this is your chance. Absolutely. Yeah. God, my dad, my, my guides, yeah. my guardians. And, and just come on. And I'm like, why won't you do this? And then the next thought I had was my, you know, terrified little inner child who I've spent my entire, my entire adult life trying to just heal and come back to. And she's like, if you do and you get caught, they'll kill you. So laying here is the safe thing to do. And my very next thought was, if you don't, you're going to die anyway. And it was in that thought that I was like, well, body's working now. Get the keys. <laughs> Get the keys. And so I did. And I had never driven a car before. So it was pouring down rain in the middle of the night. I'd never oh, driven a car I, before. I, I, I had no idea where I was. There are no cell. I mean, obviously I wouldn't have a cell phone anyway, but there were no cell phones. There's no Google Maps or Google 
navigation. This is Google map times, oh my. you know? And so I had no idea where I was, no idea where I was going, no place to really go. And I probably stopped at like 20 gas stations asking for directions. And I probably looked like a homeless, crazy person. And, and no one was like, are you sure you're old enough to drive? And no one questioned you. No. And you know, when I even look at pictures of me, when I look at pictures of my daughter, I'm like, she clearly looks like a 14, 15 year old girl. When I look at pictures of me from that age, I'm like, God, I didn't. And maybe it was because of the level I had to the level I had to step up to changes. I, yeah. I really believe what you feel on the inside changes what you look like on the outside. Yeah. And and it's not that I looked well beyond my age, but I carried myself beyond my age. Yeah. I didn't carry myself with the same timid uncertainty that you see a 14-year-old girl walking right. around with. And so, no, nobody, yeah. nobody really, I just looked like a cra- crazy homeless person. I'm so sure. you're asking for directions and where are you going I am trying to get back to my hometown. Okay. Um, don't really have anywhere to go there, but it's the only place I know and the only place I know people. Um, and so at this point I'm 17. I'm 17. Oh. Um, and And you'd been there for 6 months. About. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I give or take, you know. Yeah. Um, but about and I make it. I make it First time ever driving a car, pouring down rain, middle of the night, I'm driving over. If you've never driven over Mount St. Helena, it is like Ugh. the windiest, twistiest, turniest, darkest Ugh. mountain you could possibly drive over. Oh my gosh. And um, Were you driving fast? I mean, maybe you don't remember. Like, yeah, I mean, I couldn't tell yeah. you. I couldn't tell yeah. you the speed I was driving. I know that I could just tell you what it felt like yeah. to be behind that wheel. And it felt my like my heart was going to beat out of my chest. Yeah. And I talked to my dad the entire time. And that was like, just get me through this. Just get me through this. It's almost like a prayer to like, like you're with me. I need you help me. If, if you're ever with me, ever be here with me now. Uh. And, um, I could, I could feel him there and I could feel the spirit there. And I, I made myself I made I made myself through that get over that mountain and yeah. um and when I did I got back to my hometown um I definitely tried to go to like the police and go to yeah. um women's protective services and, yeah. and all of these things um but the problem was when they asked the questions I didn't have the answers first of all I didn't remember practically anything because uh, of the trauma mm-hmm. you just blocked it mm-hmm. okay and I couldn't have told you if my life depended on it where I was. I couldn't have told mm. you how to get there. I couldn't really tell you what happened. And the reality was this guy was at one point my boyfriend. Oh. So there wasn't a whole lot of anything anybody was willing to do about it. So these people have never been held accountable. No. And uh. they likely never will. And and while there is a part of me for a long time that wanted that justice to be served, yeah. um, the part of me that needed to be healed, let that go in, in this way of like, I was letting this be a condition of healing. Justice needed to be served before I could heal. And I let that go in. I can heal no matter what. 
Mm-hmm. And um, it wasn't easy. It was terrifying and hard. And about two weeks after I got back, which getting back from that, like nobody was looking for me. Is the oh thing. Like, my God. That's, you know? Yeah. Because I moved out at such a young age. My mom, Nobody knew you were kidnapped. Yeah. I mean, yeah. It, it, yeah I mean, and nobody was looking for me. I missed all of senior year um, and was incredibly depressed. Like I've struggled with depression all through my twenties, all the way from the time my dad died all the way through my twenties. And, and just, it just felt like thing after thing after thing that fed it. And I was always in the survival one foot in front of the other. What's the next move back against the wall? What's the next move? And I never, even in the moments of these very, intense hardships did I feel like a victim um I just wanted to be loved that was it and so at 17 right after I was back into my hometown walking around terrified by the way like looking over my shoulder wherever I went like I could barely breathe thinking that they were going to come back and find you for sure yeah and and they could have and and they maybe tried I don't know it was it was scary I found out I was pregnant and that was probably one of the single most pivotal emotional moments in becoming the mother I am today is all I ever wanted was to be loved and in being able to love, I could have that love. Yeah. And I knew from the time I was a little girl that I wanted nothing more in this world than to be a mom Mm -hmm. and that I was going to be such a different mom. I was, my kids were going to grow up so much different than I did or my mom or her mom before her. And now I've got this baby inside of me and there is no way. And, and it was, if I was already depressed, it took me to suicidal because what happened next was something I never thought I'd ever do. Yeah. And I held a lot of guilt and a lot of shame. Um, but there was no way that I could have this, like a constant reminder of this time in my life that I wanted nothing more than to, to erase from yeah. existence through the pregnancy when the baby was born. And I just, There was no part of me that could do this. And I, so I didn't. Mm -hmm. I got an abortion at 17 years old. And it was the time, only time that I thought I could go to my mom for something and she would show up and she, she did. Wow. I went to her house and I went into our living room and she was standing there and I said, I have to tell you something. But before I do, I don't want to hear you say anything. I don't want to hear it. I already know what I need to do. I just need your help to do it. And she was like, okay. Said I'm pregnant. Mm -hmm. She said, okay. And I said, can you help me? She said, yes. And so she drove me. She paid for it. um, And I recovered, recovered, quote unquote, on her couch. Mm. But like I said, I went from depressed to suicidal after that because I just carried so much shame and so much guilt and so much 
sadness and fear and anxiety. And it was like everything from the 17 years of my life had just been compounded into this moment. I mean, the word suffering comes to mind. So much suffering. So much suffering. And it was the first time in my life that I felt like there was no way out of the suffering. There was yeah. no, it, you know, my whole life had been a back against the wall. What's the next move? Okay, now mm-hmm. there's a move. There's five more moves to make before your back's against the wall and you can make another move. And this was the first time where my back is against the wall and I couldn't see a move to make. It was no matter which direction I went in, the one thing that I had ever wanted in my life, I just, mm-hmm. you know, turned my back yeah. on. And so I attempted suicide Uh, and that was, it's so genuine attempt of suicide. There was nothing more than I wanted in this world than to meet my dad on the other side and to just be loved by the only man that ever, the only person that ever made me feel loved and just be with him and be free of all of this. And uh, I spent my whole life feeling like, and I remember saying it even as a little kid, as a little kid, I used to say that I was a cosmic mistake. Oh no. That there was no place for me in this world. And that like, I didn't fit anywhere and nobody wanted me and nobody wanted my sisters. And like, even, even through all of that, like I was here and I was going to make the most of it. And I was just done making the most of it. Mm. And so I took a Costco sized bottle of Tylenol and I took a nap. Mm. I don't really remember a lot of the trauma that came next after that, the stomach pumping and the emergency room run. And like, I don't, I, I don't really remember, but I woke up in the ICU. Thank God I woke up. Yeah. In the ICU. And uh, I'm still here today. But the first thought thing I thought when I woke up was not anything good. It was, damn, oh, it didn't work. And I'm still here. Oh, man, Sarah. Where is God and your relationship with God throughout this process? Like, were you mad at him? Were you like this... I don't understand this. Some people talk about this, or but it, it feels like you had some understanding that there were spiritual supporters. I you. grew to understand that. So yeah. when I was like nine, so I didn't grow up in church mm-hmm. or, or being taught God or being taught how to connect to God mm-hmm. or, or even that there was any spiritual support. It was, it was, just survival and then when yeah. I was about nine we lived next door to a church and this church every twice a week would have would have dinner oh. and the the patrons of the church would come and they would come together and they would have dinner at this church well we are starving children <laughs> and so oh. dinner sounded really nice and um when I we would go to just partake in the food part of this church we would time and time again get turned away. And oh. that was my first my first experience with religion. Um I was thinking you they were gonna take you in. Oh now they gosh, turned that you away. Been a much better story. Oh. 
Um, and but no. what it did to my very young, very impressionable mind was say, well, if this is God, I don't want it. Mm-hmm. And so I held on to that. And and I, looking back now, can see how much more loved I could have felt if I would have let myself feel God inside of me. Mm-hmm. If I would have looked for that instead of looking if for you it. you knew you had that love. Yeah. Because that was really what fed my depression was the unworthiness to be loved. It was this constant search for love from the time I was very, very little up until the time I was be, actually yeah. became a mother. And like in the search for love, I'm searching for it externally and I'm looking for it. But it was always there. Mm-hmm. And had I just known that and somebody helped me see that and and showed me how to look for that and connect to that. I can imagine like it wouldn't have changed my circumstance, but maybe I would have it would have changed some of the decisions that I made in this quest for love. Never know. Yeah. Yeah. But you found it. I did. I did. And it wasn't until after I became a mom. And I I don't know if we have time, but the story of how I became a mom. So when I had my daughter, I saw angels. (laughs) And in that moment, I felt God. I heard God. I saw angels. And it was the first really mystical experience is the word I'll use to describe it that I've ever had. Mm-hmm. And it changed everything. When she was born, when I was in labor with her, the doctors asked me, they said, you know, if she comes out, if they, the way they phrased the question in hindsight is interesting. They said, when she comes out, do you want us to put her on your chest? And I was uh, like, absolutely. Yeah. I do. Yeah. And, and they said to me in reply to that, okay, as long as everything's okay, we will. Oh. And and so then I give birth to my daughter who came in this world fast and furious about what did. <laughs> and um, they didn't put her on my chest. Uh-oh. They took her away and she was silent. There was no baby crying and they took her away and they didn't put her on my chest. Um, I remember my ex-husband, he was at my head, like, are you okay? And I'm like, go to that baby and do not leave yes. her side. Yes. And so he rushes over and it's silent. Like you could hear a pin drop in mm. that delivery room. And then all of a sudden you hear her cry. <laughs> and when she started yeah. crying, the entire room filled with light like it looked like the oh. sun was rising in the room the entire room filled with light and my whole body felt more love than I have ever <laughs> experienced and and could ever it's then or since it was like the this vibrational unequivocal uh, just love and it was it was flooded in me and the room was lit up and I'm just looking at everybody. I'm like, are you guys seeing this? Are you oh. seeing this? I'm like, nobody knows what the hell I'm talking yeah. about. Like, yeah. And um, and they put that little girl in oh. my arms. And I'm looking at her and it's still, it's bright. And I can see these silhouettes of just, I can see yeah. it. They're, I'm, they're angels. And... I would also like to state that I was not on any kind of painkillers yeah. or drugs. When I came it was a natural birth. Okay, yes. Yeah. And when I held her, it was um, a thought 
that came in the form of a voice that was not mine and said, this child will change the world. Everything in me knew that that was true. And in that moment, I knew I would never take my own life. I knew that when I left this earth, when I left this planet, it would not be by my own hands. And that my life from then on would be about healing and loving this little girl and being the best version of myself mm-hmm. so I, that I could be there for her. It was, it was in this moment of becoming a mother that I knew, all right, you've been thinking about this your whole life. Yeah. And if you're truly going to be the mother that this child needs, then you have to figure out how to be in this world and how to be good for yourself and how to heal and how to talk about this and how to move through it and how to make sure that it doesn't define you. Because if it defines you, if your childhood, I was 20 years old when I had her. And then, so if your childhood defines you, these are my thoughts and, and you are a victim to that childhood, to those experiences for these first 20 years of your life. She's going to grow up no different than you did. Mm, It'll yeah. be different, but the same, just like it was different, but the same with my mom and hers. How do you become a better version of yourself? How do you put yourself first? How do you open your heart to mm. spirit? How do you? And that has been my primary my the every I put everything through that lens my whole oh. life or my whole adult life. And that's how you became the mother that you are. So obviously there's going to be a part two. Sarah Beth, the willful warrior, inspiring you to become the mother that you always needed to be there for your children. Sarah Beth is my personal coach. She trains me with physical training. She gives me nutrition. She's helping me get into the best shape of my life mentally and physically and she can do the same for you check her out willfulwarrior.com sign up she's offering you my brave babes a free meditation to help you just get your mindset on good things i listen to it on a regular basis you're going to love it check it out and download it she's the best willfulwarrior.com And if you want to go even more and you want to create the life that you've always dreamed of and you want to figure out how can you become that mother that you always needed and that you want to be for your kids, download my free Brave Life Planner. It's a step-by-step process to help you set your goals, put a date on them, find your pathways to achieve them and achieve that life you've always wanted. There's a video and there's a printout that goes with that. That's at getyourbraveon.info. Between Sarah and I, we're going to make you a brave warrior, girl. Also, want to say thank you so much to my friends at lifeaudio.com. They have many great podcasts about your faith and prayer and parenting. Check them out at lifeaudio.com. And warrior, get your brave on. Thank you so much for your support of the Get Your Brave On podcast. I'd love to connect with you. Call my hotline anytime and let me know how this podcast is impacting your life. 
and how you're silencing fear at 5304amanda. Let's connect on socials and get more strategies to silence fear every day on Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok at Amanda Carroll Show. And if you want to go deeper, join my Patreon. You can get daily motivations and prayers and meditations and live videos. Just go to getyourbraveon.info and sign up to be a member of the Get Your Brave On tribe. Join our Facebook group too. Just search Get Your Brave On. And I'd be honored if you would follow this podcast and subscribe and even leave a review that helps more women just like you facing a plot twist find more strategies to silence fear. I'll shout you out in the next episode or even send me an email to amanda at amandacarol.org and tell me how God is using this podcast in your life like Kim did. She said, I just want to thank you for your podcast. I signed up in July and honestly, always deleted your message. (laughs) It's okay. Or sometimes just took a quick glance. But today was different. It was if God was drawing me to really take a look at it. And I did. After downloading the app to get a podcast, I went back and clicked on the prayer. As I stood in my bathroom, brushing my teeth, the words just filled the room with a peacefulness. It came over me and it was like a weight had been lifted. The stress of living with a few disabilities and being on long medical leave from work for over a year and the stress of trying to go back to work with homeschooling two kids, I was keeping it all in. I just wanted to know how much you make a difference. I even shared your podcast with my mom, cousin, and brother, (laughs) even though he's not a lady. He's going through a tough time and wanted him to hear the prayer. So bless you. Bless you. I am so thankful that God used this in your life. You're my why. I'm honored to hear from you. I'd love to hear from you. Reach out anytime. All the links are in the show notes. And I love the idea of you listening to the episodes while you're brushing your teeth. I actually think it's perfect. Start your day with me. So just make sure you follow the podcast so you don't miss an episode. Get your brave on.